If you grow up with technology and you can order everything at the click of a button on your phone, Amazon gets it to you two days, maybe even that same day. You can order who you're going to date on your phone. So if you grow up with like this, you're constantly, you get what you want when you want it. How do you switch that off when you go into the office? Hi, I'm Gary Beagle, your host of Bourbon with Beagle podcast. Join me for episode two of our new six episode series, Bourbon with Generations That Can Legally Drink or Not. Our guest is Victoria Blatchley. Victoria is a fiduciary litigator. She is just not a trial attorney. She is also a proud Gen Xer and a former latchkey kid that loves Cosmos. Join us as we discuss how COVID has validated what millennials have been saying for years. I'll be drinking Heaven's Door. What about you? I would like to welcome Victoria Blatchley to our podcast. And we're again talking about bourbon with generations that can legally drink and not. And I think, Victoria, you can probably legally drink. Um, I can prove it right now if yeah. you need me to. I have a cosmopolitan waiting here just oh, to prove it. good for you. Good for you. I wish I did. And what generation are you, Victoria? I am a proud Generation X. Oh, way to go. Way to go. Well, I've been interviewing people from other generations. And so I finished a, the baby boomer generation, the Z and the Y. And the Y is the millennials, which I'm calling a rebel generation. And mm. we'll talk a little bit more about that with that. But what is your personal philosophy on aging? My personal philosophy on aging is probably don't fight it but also don't give in to it. So I feel like it's something I can negotiate with. Oh, how cool. So uh, tell me a little bit about how you negotiate. How would you negotiate that? Well, there might be a little Botox. That might be a little <laughs> negotiation. I don't know. I'm not telling all my secrets here with you, Mr. Beagle. Uh. Um, I, think, I think an acceptance that things change and that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I think aging is easier for me than some people because I'm kind of a sloth. So I don't identify as being fit and active. And I think that's harder for people. So I see aging as being more of a, you get to look back on your accomplishments and all that you have done and kind of fly your flag and, and enjoy that. So it's looked upon by our society a lot of times as a very negative thing. But if you look at aging as experience, then it mm -hmm. is a very positive thing because the older you are, hopefully the more experience you have. Right. It's kind of like my 92 year old mother when I, she says, uh, I don't want to do this. And I'm asking her why. And she says, I just don't want to be around those old people. And so I laugh about that, but her perception is I'm not old and, and I'm not, I might be, I look better than they do and I uh, act younger. So those are the things to do with uh, that generation anyway. I uh, saw there was a, a Oregon's secretary of state. I don't remember her name who was appointed for an interim period of time when somebody resigned. And I believe she was 80 and mm -hmm. I heard her speak and she was great because she talked about aging being experienced. And she just said, so I would like to proudly announce I am the most experienced Secretary of State that Oregon has ever seen. And I was yeah. like, yeah, girl. A absolutely. Absolutely on that one. Uh, one of the things that's been pointed out to me is uh, a little bit that we've discussed is even in the Gen Z, which is 
the younger generation that we've spoken to, they are viewing uh, ageism as being an issue. And when I talk to the baby boomer generation, they're, they're saying ageism as well. Do you think your generation has some discrimination on age? Not really. We're still kind of in that sweet spot because I think generally it's between 65 and 80 mm-hmm. um, for my generation when you're born, which is good because I could lie and say I'm closer to the 80 than the 65. But I think we're still at an age where we, we aren't experiencing that kind of discrimination like other cohorts are. One of the other things that I think has been kind of interesting is Jay, Jay Bloom, we talked a little bit about earlier, but Jay was saying that even in the workplace now, you're going to find at least three generations in any company and how you navigate those generations. Is that something you're seeing as well, the generational within a company? Definitely, definitely. I think that the boomers um, number-wise is a very large group. Mm -hmm. Um, Gen X is a much smaller group. And because of economic constraints, a lot of the boomers are staying on longer than Gen X people would like them to stay on sometimes and not passing the torch. And then the millennials are much larger group than either the boomers or the Gen Xers. So they're all kind of coming up quickly. And because of the Gen X generation being smaller, there's a lot more opportunities for them to become leaders sooner rather than later. And so I think that dynamic, they have to be perhaps prepared earlier than they're ready to be prepared to be Mm -hmm. leaders. And of course, we could go into a long discussion about millennials and the joys and challenges of working with them. But they're going to be, I think I I read one statistic, 75% of the global workforce by 2025. That's right around the corner. So we all have to figure out how to work with them and work well together. And, and I think you're correct that we have to figure out how the baby boomer generation can work with the X generation, with the millennials, and with Z. So I know like at my firm, I go from the Z to the boomers and working in those individuals has been has its challenges. But I think sometimes we just have to realize how important their views are and incorporate them into it. Um, when I talked to the Connor Kavanaugh, who is the millennial that I interviewed, he says that their view on working is a little different than other generations. Definitely. How work source. How is your generation look, view working in the work environment? Well, one of the things, and I, I read a great book about this, this author, Laura Stiller. Reichlein, R-A-K-L-E-E-N. She wrote this book in 2016. You raised us, now work with us, millennials, career success, and building strong workplace teams. And I got a lot of good insights from that book. And one of the things that really resonated with me is this idea that I grew up very traditional Gen Xer and that I was a latchkey kid. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of independence, not a lot of oversight as for parents. They were both working. And so that really goes into the workforce that I'm used to doing things on my own and being a self-starter, but millennials and, and that author calls millennials the most loved, the most wanted generation because the boomers really wanted those children and they, they're parenting this helicopter parenting and the constant feedback and the constant reassurances. They raised very creative people, but also people that are used to having constant feedback. So there was one study done that 
millennials, 60% of them that were in the survey expected to be contacted by their supervisor at least once a day. So for someone who was a latchkey kid, my philosophy when I was coming up as a young associate in a law firm was if I didn't hear anything, that meant I must have been doing okay. But I've talked about this with my millennial associates and their expectation is if they don't hear from you, oh my gosh, they're going to get fired immediately. So it's completely different. And if you understand that, then you can adjust yourself accordingly. Absolutely. One of the things that uh, Connor pointed out being a millennial is that they're not going to stay with the same job 20 or 30 years like their parents or grandparents did. They will move, move jobs and move frequently. And does your generation have that same type of view? Or are they more aligned with the boomer generation that where they stayed for 20 years? Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think there is a solid line one way or the other. And maybe it's because we're in between those two. I think that uh, Gen X would like the stability of staying at one place, but also don't have the concern about moving elsewhere. I think it's different with the younger generations that there's almost like this anxiety of if you stay someplace too long, you're giving up a better opportunity. Like the grass is greener somewhere else. And, and really in this kind of like you raised us, now you have to figure out how to work with us is having these conversations that if you put in your time, that success and, and great things will be there for you in the future. But, you know, millennials have a bad rap of wanting, you know, instant gratification and uh, promotions. But if you think about it, if you grow up with technology and you can order everything at the click of a button on your phone, Amazon gets it to you two days, maybe even that same day. You can order who you're going to date on your phone. So if you grow up with like this, you're constantly, you get what you want when you want it. How do you switch that off when you go into the office? Yeah. You know, it's been interesting because we, I was talking uh, about the boomer generation and I'm not really keen on the word boomer. I want to call it the transitional generation because we moved from non-technology to technology, mm-hmm. but you were probably the first generation to grow up with technology. Yeah. I, I didn't have a computer in college, so I was, I still did things on a typewriter, mm-hmm. which seems so antiquated and Amish almost at this point. But yeah, I think that, and, it, and it's tough too, right? You think about the transitional, how many changes happened with that, but then there's also this resentment, I think, from millennials that boomers aren't as open-minded about technology and how it can make your life better. And certainly there has to be more communication back and forth because technology doesn't always make your life better as a lot of social media we now know. It can make things very much worse. Well, and that's a good point because um, I interviewed Trueware for the Gen Z group and her number one concern was not concern, but her viewpoint on social media was it adds a lot more stress and a lot more pressure on you to be in that environment. And they've toned up, they've grown up entirely on a technological age to do that. But I think our generation is a little different in that we we're there if we want to be and not if we don't, and don't have the pressure on that one. But did technology move forward quicker? Do you think with your, it had to with quicker when you're with your, your generation? And what do you think that that technology has added to your generation? Yeah, I think, well, so the Gen X 
one of their strengths, I would submit for mm-hmm. Mr. Beagle's consideration. <laughs> You're wearing black like a judge, so I feel like I have to articulate uh, like the litigator I am. Yes. Is that there are a lot of entrepreneurs that came out of Gen X. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of that may be because they grew up with less constraints. If you don't have that kind of helicopter parenting and you get to kind of forge your own way, mm-hmm. you have more freedoms that you think a little differently and you're more willing to take risks. And that is one of the concerns or challenges to be aware of in working with millennials in particular is they had a lot of structure in their lives. So they're, they're afraid to fail. And I think that's a really sad thing because some of the greatest things and like the, these great entrepreneurs that came out, you can't be afraid to fail or you're never going to risk this. So I think a lot of the technological advances were made through those Gen X entrepreneurs. Do you think your generation, because I'll preface that by saying my generation, there were lots of things we just didn't know was out there because we we only had the TVs and radios as the, the main and newspapers as the main source of, of information. But you're the first generation, I think, that grew up with cable. CNN. Oh, I remember MTV coming out. The, like, oh, whoa. yeah. And CNN all the time and doing that. So I think probably that I would say and suggest that your generation was exposed to more. So maybe that exposure led to you being a little bit more independent and able to try new things. Do you think that that's, would be a correct statement? I think that's fair. And I think when you tie it to social media wasn't there when Gen X was growing up, you didn't have that anxiety of, oh my gosh, everybody's looking. And if I fail, it's public, it's on the internet forever and right. ever. I mean, I'm constantly grateful that cell phones with cameras weren't around when I was going to college. Like it would be, <laughs> I, I don't need that. I do not need that. Exactly, exactly. To do that one. So again, what what do you think your generation is contributed so far? I mean, me primarily. <laughs> absolutely, Victoria. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the entrepreneurship is is a big one. I think that there is more of a. I feel like we're braver in in willing to take risks than some, mm-hmm. but. It's also because we're a smaller group as well. I think a lot of the younger cohorts lump us in with boomers. Mm-hmm. They kind of identify right. us as, you know, Xers, they're slow to change. They don't want to adapt technology. And they're, we're just kind of like same old, same old as with the boomers. Um, so I don't know if our collective identity is as differentiated for the younger generation as it probably should be. But. I think you're very correct. I think the younger generation does see the Xers as being a, an extension of boomers, but you're not. You're very different, and you've pointed out some of those differences. What do you think of workplace environments uh, that, that Xers are looking at? I think Xers were not as vocal as millennials about what they wanted and what they needed for mm-hmm. work-life balance. I think they had seen more of from their older family and friends and colleagues that sacrifice was a big thing. Mm-hmm. And sacrifice is a very big thing for the transitional generation and mm-hmm. to have that with honor, you know, to, to feel right. like, yeah, that sacrifice is part of my identity. I think that's great. It is very honorable. And so I think the Xers kind of looked at that of 
well, you got to pay your dues. You got to spend some time in that. And then the millennials came and they're like, you people are all crazy. Life is short. Like you've got to figure out how to work less, be more efficient. We have all this amazing technology. Why would we do things the hard way and the slow way when we can just do things quickly? But then that backfires sometimes too, because if you're dealing with something, you know, the kind of work that you do, the kind of work that I do, sometimes you need to really slow down, think about the problem, think about the unique challenge and customize. And that's not something you're just going to do an internet search and figure out. You really have to rely on your experience, your education and training. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why I called the millennials a rebel generation is I think they're going to really push the envelope. And I've said this several times, push the envelope on the 40 hour work week, commuting, all the other things that uh, we haven't had advantages of. But I think they're going to push that. Uh, but don't, I, I think COVID has probably changed that forever. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, all, all, all of these people now that have been working from home and businesses have been continuing. This idea that you have to have FaceTime and be there, which is what millennials have been fighting against for so long. Now they actually have data to show no business. You can continue with us working at home or having more flexibility. So I just think the days of, nope, you have a 40 hour, you work from this time to this time at your desk. You're not going to retain people if you have that narrow minded view. Right. One of the interesting things that uh, Connor Kavanaugh spoke about was he doesn't expect to have a retirement party like older generations do. And the reason why, because they, they switch jobs so much. But second of all, he doesn't see any point of retirement. It's a continuum for him, for that generation. And I think that that's a very healthy way of looking at this, because uh, certainly the boomers need to feel there's a living longer. So we mm-hmm. need to feel a little bit more if you might leave one job, but you're going to continue on doing other things as well. So I think that's a, that's very good. And I appreciate the rebel generation pushing the envelope on working the work-life balance as that. What do you think the boomers could have done better as a generation for your generation? Uh, succession planning. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, the, the idea of mentoring, of taking your successes and, um, you know, pulling somebody up the ladder with you. Um, mm-hmm. but I think part of the psychology behind that too, may be kind of the scarcity of resources that kind of as boomers, they grew up in a different time that it, it was like just more, they were more protective about what they had, but you know, the boomers are holding on to a lot of money. They're doing very, very well. So the succession plan for their families and for their businesses to be more proactive about that. And, you know, some boomers, like you say, if they don't want to retire, but it's that mentoring and giving other people opportunities. And and, um, the book that you referred to, um, you were great on preparing some notes and, and I'll refer back to them on that one. But one of the things is we're working nine years longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, boomers are. We have fifty percent of the overall assets and seventy percent of disposable income. That's and an so, amazing statistic, isn't it? And it, I think it's right on point for this. The other thing I will say, coming up through corporate America, is um, I, I was over a department, uh, vice president over a department in a bank, and you had to protect your territory 
in order to uh, maintain the status that you have. And I think that's how I was taught through the corporate structure to do that. And I think it's kind of interesting that uh, you're picking up on that as well. I think we do hold on to things a little tighter than we need to and, and not open to other suggestions. I've been asking, do you have friends of all generations uh, outside of family? Yeah, I think so. I think I do. I think it's uh, it's something at our firm we talk about fairly frequently. I think it, it's like a lot of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You have to have mm-hmm. generational diversity as well right. to get the perspectives from all these different people. And it's it's better for client base too. You don't know who people are going to connect with for succession planning. If you've got a boomer working with a client, but you also have somebody from a younger generation, like you've got this continuity that's really helpful. So I, I love this topic. It's, it's very personal. You know, it's, it's almost sometimes like people reading their horoscope, right? They're like, (laughs) I'm not like that. When you have kind of these broad based statements about a generation, but because of the collective experiences of how people grew up, there are things, you know, the technology is a perfect example that are going to frame how you see the world and how you interact with the world. So I think it's something that should be discussed often with friends, with family, with your colleagues, because uh, knowledge is power. So let's talk about this and be more open about it and identify strengths and weaknesses. And I think you're correct because in my career that I'm currently in, in, Uh, I used to start out, I could be equal with the clients I had. Now I am the one they bring in. They want a father or grandfather figure (laughs) to talk to them. So I think it's very, very important that you have the generational aspect to your firm so that you can relate more to different people, uh, which is very, very important in doing that one. When we talk about Gen Z, which is the younger generation, what type of advice would you give them from your generation? Oh my goodness. What kind of advice would I give them? Wear sunscreen. <laughs> helps tremendously, not only with your health, but wrinkles. Uh-huh. I think just to, don't be afraid to try things. And that things that are online, just because something's online, doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean it's important. It doesn't mean anything. There's so much chatter out there that's online and it's easy to get sucked into that vortex and doom scroll and follow the wrong information. So I think my advice would be be skeptical because that will keep you safe and you can get good information. But skeptical isn't uh, like being pessimistic. I think my impression, my personal belief is skepticism is something very healthy because that means that you're going to, you know, question authority. You're not going to just blindly follow what anybody says. So that, that might be my biggest piece of advice. Don't be afraid to fail. Be a little bit skeptical and check your sources. So that brings up another point that I think that I see in younger generations is the inability to do, uh, critical thinking, analytical Mm -hmm. thinking, because everything is so easily accessed that if plan A doesn't work out, they don't know what to do. And that might be an assumption on my part, but the problem is you have to look at B, C, and D before you can get an answer. 
So do, do you think your your generation has those analytical skills? Yeah, yeah. Much, other ones? Yes, because we didn't grow up mo- for the most part. Well, the later part of Gen X did, but certainly like I, I got through undergrad without a computer. So if you're going to look something up, it's going to be uh, more time consuming. So you mm-hmm. do have to slow down. And it is that thing that when everything is so readily accessible, I absolutely agree with you about the critical thinking. I mean, my my daughter, Sam, at 14, she was doing some kind of homework and she just asked her phone. It was something super specific. And I'm like, Siri's not going to tell you that. And sure as hell, Siri had the answer. And I'm just like, oh, because she wouldn't just slow down and think about it, either come up with the answer herself or go to a resource and figure out the answer. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's problematic. Every, yeah. Everything in life is not that simple. And I think that that you're correct on that one. And I'm finding that those talents and those of that critical thinking, analytical thinking is very much needed in businesses. And in if you decide to start your own business and entrepreneurs and that sort of thing as well. And it, it's also the social skills right. that the younger generation, if your communications with your friends are all with your phone like this, you, you are losing the ability to have eye contact, to have small talk to just connect with people on a real human level and businesses are finding it's becoming harder and harder to find people that have those softer skills, those people to people skills because of technology. It's kind of isolating everybody. So on the generations that the X, Y, Z boomer generations, what do you think are some common areas that we can really build upon? So, so I think, I think everybody wants and deserves love and respect and safety. Mm-hmm. I think those, those are the three pillars that connect all of us. And if you can filter your interactions with people of understanding that they're coming from a place of this is what they need and also what they deserve, right? We all deserve those right. things. That is a commonality among everybody. Right. What do you think about activism? Is that a common thread maybe between the generations? I, I, I hope so. Gosh, I hope so. I, I hope that people, and activism in a positive way, not in a right. let's overthrow the capital kind of way. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that people understand more that they do have a voice. And in that way, technology's made it easier sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't even have to leave your house to be active. You can send an email. You can boycott a business, um, those kinds of things. So I do think that's important. And I, I would hope that because the boomers really started that more than anybody else because right. the, of what was going on during that time. And I hope that when they see the positive activism from the younger generation, there is pride and hope for the future for that. But it's also swings the other way right now where people don't know how to voice their disagreement without becoming violent or engaging in criminal activity. And that's completely inappropriate. Right. Jay, Jay Bloom was talking about the boomers. 1968 was a, a defining moment for that generation. He said uh, the death of Martin Luther King, the death of Robert Kennedy Jr., the Democratic Convention in 68, the Vietnam War era. But part of the thing of being part of that generation, and I was a little too young to to remember 68 that much, but um, the activism kind of have gone away with our generation. We're not doing it as much. Um, 
do you think your your generation has this the same activism as the boomers did in 68 or anything along that line? I, I don't think so with the same intensity, but but certainly you look at some of the, you know, the women's marches and they're just massive, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So there there is something still there. I think, I mean, we we went through four years as a country where every day was a crisis, a, a civil rights crisis, a, a climate crisis, a moral crisis, and there's an exhaustion of being bombarded over and over and over. And I Mm -hmm. do think that I've heard so many people that were just like, I've got to stop reading the news. And I'm like, you can't give up. You have to stay uh, involved. And if the involvement is just by staying aware of what's going on, like you can't just put your head in the sand. We have to keep Mm -hmm. fighting for the things that mean so much to all of us. Do you think your generation has a cause for activism? Well, I, the younger generations would say no. And they would say, how did you let the climate crisis become such a disaster on your watch? So I think there is a lot of resentment from the younger generation that Gen X kind of phoned it in when it comes to that kind of thing. And I do yeah. think there, there certainly is not as a group. I, I don't think that rings loudly with Gen X that activism is as important as with some of the other groups. But, but man, it should be. Well, I think I, I'm very hopeful to see the climate change folks, yeah. uh, the activism in that, the Black Lives Matters, all of the activism we're seeing coming about now. I think it's reminiscent of a little bit of the 68 that Jay referred to, uh, and I hope it continues. Absolutely. One of the, one of the questions I asked uh, and Jay and I discussed was why we're not more active uh, and activism on aging, being the baby boomers generation, as we were back in '68. So, do you think your generation will be more active on aging as they tend to age out? I I doubt that because of uh, purely because of the numbers, mm-hmm. because as the boomers uh, retire or move on to something else there's going to be a lot more opportunities for Gen X just because of the numbers. We're a much smaller group. So I don't think we're going to be faced with the same kind of discrimination because Mm -hmm. there's going to be a need for experience at, at those higher levels. Right. Although we've got the millennials nipping at our heels and they are a very large group and they want to get in charge now. So maybe that's not true. Well, I think we're all going to have to get activism on some of the, Alzheimer's, dementia type of issues, yes. just because uh, uh, there's only one drug that's been released in the last 10 years, and it's costing $36,000 a year, and it's not that effective, is my understanding. Yes. So I think we all have to kind of do that, uh, become more active. So in talking about aging, do you talk to your parents or older adults uh, outside the legal arena? Do you talk to your parents and them about aging, what's going to happen when they age? end of life discussions or any of that? No, not, not my family. No. Okay. I, I, I've many good relationships with clients that are more open about Mm -hmm. the aging process. Right. And, and it is something that you need to plan for. Absolutely. On the, on the legal side, on, you know, 
my soapbox anytime I do any public speaking is um, power of attorney. Every single person should have a power of attorney, regardless of your age. It is a simple document and it saves so much heartache if anything unexpected happens. So things like that that can be planned for and and plan for something when you do have the capacity. It breaks my heart. I was on the um, board for the Alzheimer's Association in Oregon, and it breaks my heart when I would hear stories about doctors who choose not to tell their clients that they have a suspected Alzheimer's diagnosis, dementia, or other cognitive impairment Mm -hmm. with the idea of, well, there's nothing you can do about it, so why stress them out? And I I just can't imagine any other kind of illness where a doctor would make that unilateral decision of not to tell anybody but also to give people the opportunity to get their affairs in order when they have the capacity to do that and make those decisions, or you leave a mess that vultures are there for, or the courts have to get involved. And either option is not a good option. I agree totally on that one. I'm going to switch the subject a little bit. We're going to go back and talk a little bit about millennials, uh, because I just find that generation so fascinating. Oh, me too. The rebels, uh, they're just brave. But one of the things that I really uh, strived and was in the book that you referred to earlier is that they view institutional loyalty as a fiction. My generation didn't do that. Uh, So I just think that's really interesting. So does your generation view institutions as a fiction? No, no. I th- I think they're, they lean more towards the boomer side than that. And also millennials aren't as motivated by money. Oh, exactly. So, so that, that makes, that defies the business paradigm of, well, we'll just throw money to get people to do what we want to do. And millennials are like, not so fast. Right. They're going to be a little different in their perspectives with that on that one. One of the things uh, that I think that the book pointed out very, very good, which is all generations have it, is the uh, depression, chronicle depression and anxiety that they yeah. tend to, to have. And I know that's a big, uh, especially in the older population, boomers especially, is a big issue because it's gone untalked about and undiagnosed for years. Has, does your generation have that same concept of just ignoring it or do they tend to go out and talk about it and seek help or do you think? I, that is an interesting question. I don't, I don't know that I have a broad s- response to that. I think that it's it's discussed more than definitely the boomers, but I suspect it's not as prevalent as. But I, I yeah I don't know for sure. I, I I suspect it's not as prevalent as millennials because of social media and all those things that if you may be predisposed to depression, it's just going to exacerbate it. Right. I mean, if you're having problems and then you're online and looking at all the beautiful people and comparing yourself, that that is going to be the worst thing for you. So, so maybe it's more the triggers than actually the underlying condition. Right. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have a good sense of that. I, I would say the Gen X people I know um, do not have a difficult time discussing that and sharing that, and I, and it's not seen as a weakness. And I do think another thing from COVID is we have all experienced depression for these last three years uh, because part of 
what wards off depression is to have some hope and to have some idea that you have control over the future. And with what we all have been going through, that hope has been a much smaller window. So it's impacted all of us. And to just say out loud, like, yeah, I'm depressed. This situation sucks. Like to acknowledge it is much healthier than I think we've ever been before. So I think it's, there's a lot more conversation about it now and there should be. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm a big, big supporter of National Association on Mental Illness, NAMI, and uh, they do a great work working with all populations regarding that. But I thought that was just an interesting statistic uh, and an insight into the millennials. I think probably. Yeah. What was it like? Suicide was the third leading cause of death. I mean, that is heartbreaking. Well, it is. And I think it's a wake up call for your generation and my generation that we really need to emphasize more on common ground that we need to take care of others. And part of that process is having the resources to address the suicide and mental health issues that people have. Jay and I talked, Bloom talked a little bit about what our boomer generation or the silent generation, which is my mom at at 92. And I asked her, I said, what did you guys do differently? And she said, we paid in taxes. And I thought about that. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, for example, we didn't mind paying taxes Mm. because we knew the benefit would be there for future generations. And unfortunately, I think the boomers have lost that, that foresight. So hopefully other generations will pick it back up and say, you know, we do these things for the good of the generation, not necessarily for ourselves. Well, I do think going back to the activism thing too, that, that the younger generations too are demanding things like paid parental leave Mm -hmm. and do something about the skyrocketing medical expenses, things like that. So, so there is more pressure on that. And I, I do think there is an understanding that we're happy to pay the taxes if they're going for things like this that is helping us all out as a society, right. and, it, and it definitely would, but things are so polarized. I'm going to go back to the work phase, work phase, workplace, <laughs> and luckily Dan can take that out. Um, <laughs> workplace, and it, it, 95% of the millenniums like face-to-face evaluations and performance preferred. That's amazing. That's a high statistic. Uh, but, but yet they don't want to talk to clients on the phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but I think, gener- I think it's that, that parental thing, right? Like right. mom and dad spend a lot of time with me. So if you're my boss, you need to spend a lot of time with me. Exactly. But that really is different. You know, as we talked earlier, if you didn't hear anything, you were doing well. It's when you heard from yes. them that you didn't do well. Right. So I'm glad we're kind of changing that paradox and dynamics there to allow them to feel like they can come and need to need to have that. Although we joke, we joke at the office, uh, Laura Nelson told me I could share this story with her being a a millennial that anytime I have a meeting with her, that is out of the blue, I have to preface it with everything's okay. (laughs) She She immediately goes to, Oh, you want to talk to me? Something must be bad. He's like, no, no, no. Everything's okay. And, and when we were in the office in person, if I would go into a millennial's office and like shut the door for privacy to have a conversation, I would, I would shut the door and I would immediately say, everything's okay. Because there's this panic. It's, it's very interesting group. 
You have to be well, patient. You do have to be patient. Uh, the The key word for the millennials that I interact with are, do I need to prepare anything for our meeting? Which is a nice way of doing it. But I go, oh, no, no, everything's fine. So, uh, you know, I think that's, that's just how you kind of have to interpret discussions or how I have to change my interaction with different groups because I wouldn't, it wouldn't cross my mind that uh, they thought they were in trouble. So yeah, well, great on that one. So we've talked about the common ground of, of, of each generation on that one. If you had to give a synopsis a little bit of what your generation is like in a nutshell, mm. what are some of the words that you would use on that one? I, I think that uh, independent, um, because of being raised with mostly um, two parents working, so mm-hmm. more of a latchkey kid situation, focused a lot on friends becoming your family because you have more time with your family not focused on you, that you kind of develop your own family with friends. So I think friends are very important to to Gen X. We, we grew up in a time, um, you know, the crack epidemic was out of control. Um, I mean, I believe Nancy Reagan when she said, just say no. I really thought if I tried pot, I would become a heroin addict like the next day. Like I, so I grew up with that anxiety over drugs. So it's been really interesting to see the shift where now marijuana is legal in so many states and does wonders for so many people in so many different ways that there isn't that fear. So Right. The younger generation is growing up realizing it's not the sky is falling. The skepticism, I think, is part of it. I think also divorce was higher for Gen Xers. We grew up seeing, you know, divorce becoming more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw more the birth control pill coming out. There was more ability for women to take control over their own body and their own destiny. And so we saw the workforce change with that too. So I think the women are have expectations that are that are different about how they're going to be treated. And unfortunately, that's continued to grow with the younger generation and their expectations too. The contributions with entrepreneurs, I think, are really it's something to be proud of for our generation. But then if you say some of the technology is horrible, then maybe we shouldn't be proud of it. I don't know. But I did read in um, a Harvard Business Review this quote. It said, and it was talking about Gen X. They are already the greatest entrepreneurial generation in U.S. history. Their high-tech savvy and marketplace resilience have helped America prosper in the age of globalization. I was like, ooh, look at us. But that's very true. Yeah. Extremely true. That's a great quote. I like that. I think probably it's interesting to see your generation about, I'll go back to the marijuana incident, but- the boomer generation did the drugs mm-hmm. and did all of that stuff. And then it went conservative. I can tell you the first people lined up at the marijuana shops uh, when they first opened here in Washington state were the baby boomers. They were Heck lined yeah. up out the door yep. and I went, okay, that explains a lot on that one. So I think that that issue is becoming less for each generation, but I just think it's very ironic that the conservative, as we turn conservative, the baby boomers did. Yeah. As perceived as being conservative, that once those marijuana shops were legal, we were, they were, we were all lined up there. So I think that's very interesting to see that. Well, but you know, even, even if you're conservative and you're like, ah, drugs, like you can't deny the economic impact when mm-hmm. you legalize something like that. 
And, exactly. You know, the, the feds need to catch up with what the states are doing because there's there's a lot of money on the table. Just tax it and do good things with it. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that we've had to realize is the CBD component of mm-hmm. the, their marijuana has been extremely beneficial in working with PTSD, especially in the veterans uh, community. Uh, and we've I've seen that personally uh, has really made major differences in that area. So I think, you know, we need to not discredit uh, oh. some of the benefits that we're seeing from that Uh one of, one of my neighbors, he's in his 80s and was having horrible back pain. And I was like, have you have you tried CBD? And it had never crossed his mind. And he mm-hmm. associated it with being, you know, drugs, bad. Yeah. And it's been a game changer for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, is there anything else you would like to share about your Generation X? We're not boomers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the takeaway. That is the takeaway. We are not boomers. And you're absolutely correct. You are not. Uh, And I will refer back to the quote that you just did every time on that one, on globalization, particularly bringing that worldwide. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for being our guest. Uh, My guest, I guess. And thank you for the the discussion on Generation X. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. It's been great talking with you. Thanks for tuning in to Bourbon with Beagle, presented by me, Gary Beagle. Be sure to subscribe to Bourbon with Beagle on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening now. I would like to thank my producer, Dan Bruton of SignalCast, and my digital media and marketing specialist, Aaron Haley. Without them, Bourbon with Beagle would not be possible.